Do you love how I'm just letting the room go slowly dark around me because there's not a lamp by my desk <laughs> it's anymore? Very atmospheric. <laughs> I'm haunted. Welcome to Tortal Recall, the podcast where we reread the Tamara Pierce books and yell about them. My name is Grace, and my pronouns are she, her, and questions. Oh, we didn't we even do have that. to have a question. It's okay. okay. We can just put in the no. murder anecdotes. Great. No. <laughs> That's not good podcast content. <laughs> okay, we won't do that. My name is Grace, and my pronouns are she, her, and my favorite color <laughs> is purple. Like, violet, I guess. Okay. Like Alana's eyes. Like Alana's... No, not that. <laughs> Beautiful oh. purple eyes and her purple magic. Yeah. Mm, I love her. Um, I miss her. Okay. Abby. She's here. Oh, hi. I'm Abby. My pronouns are she, her. I don't know if we're... I don't have... I don't know what my favorite color is. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have a pre- favorite color, I will assign one to you. Okay, what is it? Um, green. <laughs> That's solid. I'll take green. Because Aww. you're stealing my <laughs> favorite you're color. Green. Green. Yeah. I'm literally not wearing green. <laughs> it looks green. From... Uh, yeah, favorite colors aren't proprietary. You can share. Gus, go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, hi, uh, I'm Gus, and my pronouns are they, them, and I was also going to say green. It's not actually my favorite color, but it's a color that I've come around on a lot in the last few years. My hair is green. Wow, really, you've experienced a journey (laughs) with it. Intriguing. Wow. Wonder what could have caused that. Shut up! (laughs) It looks good on me. That's what caused that. It looks great on you. Thank you. It does look look really good on you. I always think your teal hair looks really good. Thank you. Shelby? Uh, yes, my name is Shelby, and my pronouns are she, her, and my favorite color is, as aforementioned, also green. And that's really relevant, because in this book, sometimes they use colors to describe the appearance of things. (laughs) The actual reason is we forgot to think up a fun, fun thing to to talk about. Look, Kel wears a lot of green in this book, gotta say. She does. Is is it Rawls colors? Yeah, is that R- Rawls colors are she's always uh, green? green and gold, I think, but primarily green. Like the Packers. Like the Packers. <laughs> Kel is a Packers fan. <laughs> um, what do you think Kel's favorite color is? I don't know, but her shield is blue and silver. Yeah, her her house's colors are... Is it, Yeah, I was going to say, is that not like her family's colors? I mean, I, I'm sure it is just her family's colors and it's not like... Kel was just like, I'll do these random colors. I don't know. Yeah. She said <laughs> yellow and brown looked terrible on Joran, so probably not yellow and brown. I mean, she does not like Joran, so I don't know if that was <laughs> No, but a lot of the time she's opinion. like, you know, oh, like, I really hate Joran, but he sure does look great right now. <laughs> All right. So as always, the uh, transition here is going to be pretty rough. Who's ready for Social Justice Corner? <laughs> Woo! Uh, yeah. 
Let's talk about criminal justice. Yeah, let's talk about criminal justice. So uh, we've actually talked quite a bit about the criminal justice system in Tortal in some of our previous books, uh, particularly in regards to uh, tree crimes. Is turning someone into a tree a crime? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> is it a punishment for a crime? Is that okay? <laughs> um, really hard-hitting <laughs> political commentary here. Yeah, really. Uh, I mean, when you think about it, it's a real metaphor for our own justice system. The trees, specifically? Um, I don't want to really dig into that metaphor, Abby. I think everyone already understands it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's obvious. It's right there on the page. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's barely even subtext. It's basically just text. Um, the comparisons between tree crime and American criminal justice. Yeah, oh, but uh, in this book, we have a lot of interaction uh, around the ideas of justice. What in particular were you folks moved to touch on? I have like a bit of a list of a few different like things mm-hmm. that we see in the book related to criminal justice. Perfect. Do you want to kind of run down that list to give people some context? Yeah. Yeah. So um, let me see. Uh, so some things that we hear about are we hear uh, when Kel's doing jousting and she's like, worried that her lances might be weighted or weighted. I think she's just worried that they might be flawed. The, person handing her the lance is like nope i couldn't do that or i'd get a summer mending roads um there's there's a lot of references to hard labor as a punishment for Mm -hmm. commoners and also um hard labor sentences that kill people like that people aren't expected to outlive right specifically at Mm -hmm. lalas's trial the two commoners are sentenced to i think 10 years of hard labor um i'm doing this from memory so i'm not totally sure that's right and kel says something about like oh she knows that they will probably won't even live that long but she wants their sentence to be even longer which is really harsh right well specifically she didn't want them to get a lighter sentence for turning state's evidence Mm -hmm. yeah right yeah um well of course we also see um joran get fined we see trial by combat as a um less um less state enforced and more social way of um of of debating things maybe that shouldn't go in here right now well it is um it's relevant because kel wants to kel wants to exact further punishment on joran by trial Mm -hmm. by or by comp through combat through challenging him Mm -hmm. uh and the king tells her that she can't right uh because it would devalue the actual justice system yeah right so it's clearly something that people do but maybe it's sort of extra legal Mm -hmm. mm-hmm but we do see Cal kind of invoke that in in the last book too with the guy uh, okay. who um, when she was talking to the guy who was uh, assaulting Lalasa and she oh, was like Vincent, if you were right? Vincent if you were a real noble you would fight me basically mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah and so that's kind of interesting that Cal very much sees that as a way that you can personally get justice yeah um. When the King's Own are, I think the King's Own, um, or maybe the retinue or whatever, um, when they're visiting some, some, some folks, uh, they talk about oh, quote unquote obedience through poverty, which is right. The uh, the King has pinpointed some uh, some nobles or some little fiefdoms that are uh, a threat and has like made them pay for like a bunch of people to stay on their land, essentially, or has like taxed them a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Or made them throw really fancy banquets for the progress. Yes, the progress. That's what it's called. 
Um, we hear about culling with the centaurs, which is just killing people. Mm-hmm. And and we get human death penalty too. Yeah, we get human death penalty, and we specifically get uh, Burry saying that she's against the death penalty. Mm-hmm. I love her. She's perfect. <laughs> does she actually? Okay, I need to actually like look at the quote. I think does she actually say that she's against it, or does she just say like it's really no. horrible? Yeah, she just says she doesn't like it. Because what we get from Kel's perspective is, I don't know what, like, I don't like this solution, but I don't know what a good solution is. Like, I guess it has to be this way type of thing. Yeah. Right. Right. And similarly, I think what we get from Burry is specifically a comparison of the death penalty in Tortal and justice as it is practiced among the Khmer, which Mm -hmm. is... Also involves the death of the person, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, does it not have death? <laughs> right. So I don't think she's really comparing ever the death penalty to no death penalty. That's right. Yeah, and we also get the, um, just in terms of, like, mentions of the death penalty, uh, someone says that if Kel had been the one kidnapped instead of Lalasa, the people who did it would have gotten the death penalty. Right. Um, and that's another reason that I think it's really interesting that criminal justice comes up the way it does in this book with Lalasa's... Um, or the trial involving Lalasa, because we're kind of, again, this will go into our class section as well, but but using class as like a primary axis of disprivilege and seeing mm-hmm. Lalasa mm-hmm. not getting the same justice as other as other people in this idea of like, well, commoners will be punished worse for the same crimes, and then commoners also can't seek the same justice as nobles. It's a much worse offense to wrong and noble. So I think yeah. that's interesting. Um as sort of, like, tied into criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Right, and I guess partially because nobles are protected, um, penalties against nobles tend to be economic rather than physical, but for commoners, they're almost always physical. Right, which, I mean, is kind of true. I mean, it's a good thing to look at because um, it's true that we live in America where you can yeah. often uh, pay fines as an alternative to other kinds of sentencing. So not untrue here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we get in this book is another mention of, um, in this case, the Moon of Truth Temple, which is a religious organization, mm-hmm. I believe, that um, will that protects uh, like people who are victims of domestic mm-hmm. violence and intimate partner, partner violence. Um which um, I think in the context of um, of issues of justice is always interesting to see. Because that's come up in, I don't know about every single book, but it feels like that has come up a lot, like three or four times. Definitely, yeah. And I think that's been a consistent thing since, since Alana, Alana, since the beginning. Right. Yeah, that there's um, the main justice system and then there's a separate religious run uh, system that women can or like resources for women who are victims of abuse and sexual violence which is really interesting right and it is interesting we don't have that in the real world <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's interesting too yeah that it does it rather than being just an aid organization it is kind of like a justice organization that right appears to be kind of licensed to carry out things that are like more towards justice. Yeah, I'm really curious about what their relationship is to the actual justice system. Right. Are, is it kind of like just, you know, turning a blind eye or is it really sanctioned? It's kind of unclear. Right. Can they, I mean, can they like legally kill people? Yeah, can like, they what kill? can they do? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, it's like if you had a like a women's shelter and also the staff could kill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Shut their up. leader just has a sword and like <laughs> will show up at people's houses and threaten them with it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's still true. In the Alana books, it, it was mentioned that like they have these warriors that do this, but they can't leave the temple. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, which kind of just makes the temple into like a, a safe space for people, which is right. mm-hmm. cool. Um, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I also would kind of connect it into uh, how the book deals with Vincent at the Temple mm-hmm. of the Ordeal and yes. kind of the justice that's dispensed to him as mm-hmm. a uh, perpetrator of violence against women. He, um, I guess, is kind of, I don't know, is cursed the right word or is sure. that... Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could just explain explain what yeah. actually happens. Yeah, we should. Um, yeah, I mean, he's cursed to go through the same sort of suffering that he's perpetrated, I guess. Inflicted. Um, inflicted, yeah. Right, so specifically, he comes out of the chamber of the ordeal, and um, he has, like, bruises and stuff appearing on his skin in real time. Because he's, like, magically getting these wounds inflicted on him. Right. And I actually think, from what I can tell, this is, like, a little bit of a genre trope. Like, a contemporary Mm -hmm. genre trope. Because it also appears in a Mercedes Lackey book uh, that I think Mm -hmm. would have been published a little bit earlier. But a similar part of, like, the feminist science fiction fantasy movement was this idea of uh, men having to suffer in the way that they've caused suffering to women. Uh, so I think that's really interesting because I don't think we would necessarily see that in a book published now. I don't know what you guys think about it. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's possible that we could see it, but right. yeah, it's, um, I think it's interesting, um, to see in a world where, you know, gods are real to see, you know, like to see the like sexual assault punished, um, like by some sort of some sort of deity or whatever the chamber of the ordeal is <laughs> again what is Mortal it being but... <laughs> yeah we don't know we really don't know yeah but by some sort of like magical dispenser of justice mm-hmm. right i mean it's interesting because it's a very uh i mean yeah it, it's not the most severe punishment for that that you could possibly do but it's up there it's a pretty severe punishment for that crime yeah um you know, much more than I think you would get through the actual justice system. And it's really interesting that, I mean, we never see what would happen to a noble right? Uh, who was accused of sexual assault of a commoner, but I'm guessing basically nothing right? through the actual justice system. So this is another auxiliary justice system to punish violence against women. Right. Yeah. Again, like adding to that. So I think it's interesting that it's still framing it as something that the system itself isn't dealing with, uh, mm-hmm. which is... obviously a real frustration and then adds on these different things systems that kind of deal with it in this kind of like baroque poetic justice type of way it's uh beloved in this sort of fantasy (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i don't it is interesting because right i think um something that i like a lot about cal is you know i mean we've joked in the past about like oh, we can't enjoy this fantasy novel because they're not abolishing the monarchy. <laughs> yeah. But, like, Kel's working on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, like, you know, a thing that I really like about Kel is that she, in the case of uh, Lalasa's kidnapping, she sees the the criminal justice system play out, and she says, this is not fair, this is not how this should work, and she talks to the king and queen, and um, gets them to commit to changing the law, 
um, but acknowledges like this is going to be a slow process, but right. it's one of many things that we have to work on. Yeah. And that seems like a very sort of, um, I mean, it's kind of, obviously it's a little simplistic and nice that she would just go talk to the can queen and say, this is wrong. And they'd say, yeah, you're right. We're going to change it. <laughs> it's real bad. <laughs> never thought about it before. <laughs> we never thought about this law before. Um, but it is a relatively nuanced sort of like, yes, this kingdom does need to change, but also it's a slow process. Right. Which is a good sort of balanced way to do that, I think. But it's interesting that it does that with the um, the classist elements of criminal justice, but kind of sidesteps it with the sexual assault. Yeah. Because they just say, yeah, oh, yeah, it's being dealt with, but not in the system. Don't worry about it. Right. Yeah. And I think it is interesting to see that in interaction with last week. I think we were talking about, if I remember correctly, we were talking about um, kind of functioning in this system that has some instances of big magic, usually relatively small magic, and the narrative functions by making things besides magic also meaningful and important. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it is kind of interesting to see what gets dealt with through big magic, what gets dealt with through small magic, very little, mostly cool maps, and then um, (laughs) what is still something that Cal has to pragmatically go into. Because, I mean, you know, talking to the king is kind of like lobbying your legislature, sort of. I sure do have a note that says that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, right, that's basically what it is, Um, and it is a very sort of, like, uh, I think it speaks to exactly how I felt about politics as, like, an 11-year-old. Yeah. Which is, like, you know, oh, it'll it'll just kind of work out if you, like, participate in the system and talk to your leaders and stuff. Right. And that is how it works for Kel, and that's very nice for her. Yeah. (laughs) Shelby, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I was thinking about it, and I think the only thing I'd add is that um, one of my favorite things about this book, besides kind of what you've been saying about how this is the first book, I think, where we see the justice system as a system with systemic problems and a need for systemic solutions, mm-hmm. um, rather than individual, Alana just fights them <laughs> solutions. Um, Punching or swords-based solutions. <laughs> <laughs> this idea of, like, kind of constant skepticism and agitation mm-hmm. like that's a little bit of an ethos of this book it's just this idea that like if people have power you should be skeptical mm-hmm. and like that doesn't mean they're necessarily in the wrong uh-huh. but it means you should always question yeah and so you see her mm-hmm. like being very uncomfortable with jonathan being very uncomfortable with the death penalty mm-hmm. and the, sol- the answer is not always like and so we must immediately abolish it in like <laughs> get rid of everyone in power it's much more like we need to just keep asking the question until we find a better solution right i think that's a good way to think about it and especially uh gus you brought up uh, the theme of community building as well and i think it's really interesting that that kind of community building often comes from a place of uh dissent and um you know questioning of the current system i think my roommate is coming home i wasn't expecting them to come home not that you did anything wrong you're also allowed in our home um yeah community building community building sometimes comes from a place of dissent was my point it's very nice i was thinking about it while shelby was talking then my roommate came home i somewhat relatedly want to shout out the fact that um kel's immediate reaction to the trial was that's not fair i'm going to confront the king and queen about it 
And Wilden was like, no, Kel, don't do that. And Raul was like, here's how you should do that strategically to like get the best result. What a good mentor. Yeah, it's great. You told her how to make changes. It's really good. I also just like love Kel. And we didn't talk about this when I was talking about how much I love Kel last week. But I love that Kel has such a drive for things to be fair because that's how you make them kind like that specific Mm. drive of not they have to be fair because everyone deserves something but Mm -hmm. like everyone deserves something because that's how you treat people with kindness and like Mm -hmm. yeah right i mean everyone deserves like a baseline of humane treatment type exactly yeah although Uh well humane treatment i don't know Kel does seem like pretty pro hard labor i don't (laughs) think she's like i'm not saying that she's really into it but she's like on board with that system of punishment apparently yeah i'm not well we'll also see that that is also a thing that will continue to be relevant in the future mm-hmm. is what i'm gonna say yeah i'm interested to see where that goes Kel is not yet a fully grown human yeah but uh another thing that i think on the note of um raul and that like quick like wait a second don't do this in public thing <laughs> that i really liked is like it's also just a nice moment of like Kel. Kel is a super pragmatic person, and this is, like, one of the places where you see her being, like, I will, I don't care about, like, my honor in this situation, or the fact that, like, any of this reflects on me, and I got, she's totally willing to go do this in private, give up her right to a, um, duel and everything, because she, she has her eye on, like, the system and Mm -hmm. doesn't care about like that personal side of it um and that's just also a nice good message to think about when you're trying to change systems is like the way that act change actually gets done is not always the way that looks good in a photo op Mm -hmm. yeah um and kel is super like does not care (laughs) about the photo op right um yeah she's so good yeah it's coming from like internal drive for sure there's a point in when Kel's talking to the king and queen when um, they tell her that in order to keep pursuing this, like, legal justice, um, that she's going to, I think they literally use the word privilege. Like, they have to, that she has to give up her reliance on the rule of privilege in this case, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. essentially, which is that she can't challenge anybody to a duel over this. Right. And that she has to deal with it purely legally which i thought was interesting mostly because it uses it like has kel literally giving up privilege which is a thing that we've talked about her doing before and you know specifically class privilege here and right it is nice to sort of see that evolution because in previous books she has used her noble privilege to protect people but it's always been you know through her like flexing her muscles as a noble and here's a situation where she learns like you know, oh, if the system changes, that means that I personally will have less power to do what I want, but that's still good. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially in a book for young adults, I think that's a nice journey, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah can we move? Um, are we pretty good on criminal justice? Next on. Yeah, I think yeah. one brief note, like... I think a thing we did not hear say here that people might have expected given some of the ways we've talked about mm. social justice in the past is that we haven't said anything like, you know, they don't give us the alternatives. Because it's true that, like, 
pretty much all of the justice we see in this book is purely like punitive justice. We don't see any restorative justice. No, we don't no. see any mm-hmm. alternative models here. That's a good note. Um, yeah. But I, I think that like you can have a book in which the universe has not yet figured <laughs> out some of the better solutions we might have now and still present it in a way that's questioning and that's not entirely accepting of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. broken system. Um, contrary to some of the other times when we've talked about it, this where it really has seemed to accept right. the status quo of medieval feudalism (laughs) a little bit more yeah and i don't think it's like completely neglected because we do start to see some of the ways or at least like this book could be in dialogue with some of the ways that restorative justice is good like like is hard labor labor really mending a wrong or is it Mm -hmm. leading people to be able to um you know re-participate in a system that has previously shut them out like not really how could we do that more effectively you know like you could use it to inspire a conversation. I don't, like we've talked about before, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily there in the book, but you could still interact with it. Kel does, in, in this book and the previous book, she's had thoughts about like, you know, oh, is, you know, is punishing these bandits who stole because they right. were starving, is that the best thing that we can do here? But it, it never really gets as far as like, here's what we should be doing. You right. know, it's always just her being like, here's the system and I don't like it. Yeah. But it's a good sort of baseline, just sort of, let's start to think about these things. Right. And I'm curious mm-hmm. to see where that will go in the future. Right. Yeah. And if I were to read this book with someone younger, I think that now that we've had this conversation, it would really lead me into trying to have that same conversation with um, mm-hmm. them, with some kid. I don't know. I don't really know any kids. Um. <laughs> 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 yeah. Next on my personal list is feminism. <laughs> I don't know if we want to get... Um deep into to a discussion of like sexual assault politics but i did want to mention as long as like flowing out of the conversation on criminal justice i wanted to bring up the conversation that um kel has with burry yeah where she's very kel feels very guilty about not having reported um vincent's sexual assault of lalasa right and burry basically tells her like well, you like you learned something from this. Don't beat yourself up about it, but you'll know to report it next time. And that's a weird moral. <laughs> right. Yeah. It is pretty weird. Yeah. I mean, again, just interacting with the class issue, too. But mm-hmm. like you would hope that, I mean, Lalasa's autonomy is another issue in that situation. Yeah. For right. Sure. I mean, Lalasa specifically asked her not to report it. Right. Yeah. And she... And that's obeyed Alas's wishes, and then she feels really bad about having done that right. because Vincent went on to do other terrible stuff. Right, which is like not her responsibility. And yeah, like you said, the correct moral is not next time you'll know not to listen to another person <laughs> about what they want. <laughs> yeah, Ugh. right. And I mean, especially like in this situation where, um, you know. Kel reporting Lalasa's assault would have no negative consequences for Kel, but it would probably have some negative consequences for Lalasa. Right. Yeah. And Lalasa is clearly more aware of the ways that that could backfire on her and right, exactly. Yeah, cause her potentially to right. be punished or whatever. Um, and more aware, but like also Lalasa directly tells Kel. Right. Like, so Kel should be aware. Says, like, yeah, it doesn't even matter. Like if you can protect me, they'll get my uncle fired. Right. Right. Like, 
gotta you gotta respect other people's choices when it more directly affects them than you. Exactly. Yeah. I in that same conversation we did get the best fact in this book, which is that Lalasa closes her shop early three nights a week and teaches self defense to so commoners. Cute. And that couldn't be more cute. Uh, Lalasa's my favorite I mean, character. It's still the best <laughs> in this book slash maybe like one of my favorite Tamara Pierce characters. I really mm-hmm. like her. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I I just really I mean I think that I'm uh like very defensive of her autonomy because we see it threatened so often Mm -hmm. um but i just was still paying attention to you know like the way that people interact with her as somebody who has experienced trauma and um it's cool to see her kind of heal through helping other people um learn those skills to protect themselves So one other thing that I, as the like public health person on this call, who has very strong feelings about sex ed, have to bring up, um, is the way that sex is handled in general in this book. Like I have previously told people, like this is the series that I would want like a child to read first when it comes to sex because I think it's just very notable in children's and YA fiction that like. Mm-hmm sex is brought up she thinks she might want to have sex and what she does is go to her mother and have like a very nice conversation about like feelings and like how to make this decision in which her autonomy is extremely respected and then her mom teaches her how to get access to birth control and i'm like that that's beautiful it's just like an entirely beautiful scene yeah so good i think that's great it's really good also, Ruel offers to give her the talk. Oh my god. <laughs> That's good that he doesn't need to do that, but I'm glad that she has adults in her life yeah. that are willing to do that. Don't you love that she has more than one person who could help yeah. her with that instead of Alana? Oh, I do love it. Um, another thing that happens in that scene that I wanted to bring up because it's left like a huge mark on me. Like I, I've remembered this line many times in my life. Um, is her mother says you can't say this to noblemen, of course. And Kel says, why can't this be said to men? And her mother says, the good ones are too romantic to like it, and the bad ones don't care. And then she talks about the two, those two groups and how they manifest. But that was the first time I think I ever encountered the idea that, like, allies don't necessarily get it. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. like, there are some things that, like, even if you have a well-meaning person who understands that, like, a different group has different challenges. That doesn't mean they can ever, like, they, they necessarily can really internalize those ideas. Right. And so when I've had experiences in my life with men who don't get it, like, I always, that, that like, that was a very validating line for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a very good reminder for me when I'm dealing with groups who lack privilege that I have mm-hmm. of, like, just because I don't get it doesn't mean it's not real. And just because I don't want to think about it mm-hmm. doesn't right. mean I shouldn't and don't need to. Yeah, that's a very sort of succinct yeah. and clear way yeah. to put that. Yes. This is not not a specific point, but I do just re- like, there's 
so many good female characters in this book. Like, I don't even think that I can list them all. I feel like in most of the previous episodes we've done, we've listed every female character right. who shows up. Right. And, and talked like, about this them. This is but... why I like her. And this is why I like her. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or like, this is why she's not a great female or, you know, whatever. Yeah. We have a lot of ways that conversation can go. But I think we finally hit the point where there's just too many. We can't talk about all of them. Right. You know, there's there's the women who... um who watch Kel tilt and who are, you know, her admiring fans. There's her mom, <laughs> there's Thayet, there's Burry, there's the women in the bathhouse who um are, like, really worried about her bruises and offer to, like, get her some help, which yeah. is really good. Mm-hmm. There's so many good... Mm-hmm. Cleon has a sister in the Riders. I want to know her story. Right. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there are just... There's a lot of good women, which I feel like we've kind of been waiting for in a way. Like, um, Yeah, we really have, I think. Yeah. And, uh, like, it's really cool because I actually think Tamara Pierce writes really good community and uh like friendship between women and she does i love her relationships between women yeah and i'm kind of like did you learn that later on or like what was holding you back from doing that before but at the same time like seeing her come into her own in that representation of that kind of um ways the different ways that people can support one another and especially people who understand the ways that things are hard uh, and can build community around that. I think seeing her start to represent that, it's really like, wow, that's really cool and brings a lot of things Mm -hmm. that I really appreciate to the book, you know, Um, instead Mm -hmm. of seeing someone struggle alone like Alana, which is good to represent because that's something people need to cope with as well. But yeah, I just like, Alana's is much more of, um, you know, I right. I don't think it's necessarily like less real of an experience or anything, but it is just, you know, it's much harder to she read because I want her to have a community. Yeah. Some people dress <laughs> up as <laughs> boys for their entire lives to cope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she should get to have community around that also. Yeah, she should. Where's the community of people doing that? Yeah. Not in Tortal. What if you had an Alana type of story where it was just gradually revealed that like everyone was like misrepresented? Or was, I, like, okay, I don't exists. read Terry Pratchett. I do know that that's a Terry Pratchett book. Yeah, that's very. It's called very Monstrous good. Regiment. Great. Yeah. Read that. Yep. Me apparently. Um. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for sorry. No, that's good. I'm glad it's out there. Yeah, that might be a spoiler. I don't no, know, but it's well, also maybe, a but it's also the entire book, reason so. to read that book. So right. I do have like a queer stuff thing to shout out. Okay. Um. Do that. Okay. <laughs> there have been persistent rumors that Rule is sleeping with men. Yes. When his soldiers are confronted about this, they say, that's none of your business. <laughs> I love Rule. <laughs> I love him. I kind of, like, I'm curious about, I, I kind of feel like she might have written the, that's none of your business, because that's the only sort of, like, like line to refute it that's not actively homophobic. <laughs> but it does kind of imply some stuff might be going on. <laughs> Look. I think it completely implies that. I read yeah. it as confirmation. Yeah. Where's the... Wait, wait, one second. Where's the line? I don't actually need to find the line because I remember it pretty well. <laughs> but it's like... Raul is like, they all think I'm, like, sleeping with men. And then he, like, laughs about it, which is, let me tell you, like, the queerest reaction to, like, <laughs> I can't actually out myself. But, like... Yeah. <laughs> but, like, But, geez. like... But, like... 
Right. It's specifically someone said like, oh, they'll have you in bed with Kel in a week. And he said, oh, I thought they've been having me in bed with men for years. This is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Raul. That is like the second or third like actual reference we've gotten to like, yeah. like queer relationships happen. And the previous yeah. ones have been... That time that a stable fight broke out because someone said something homophobic. Homophobic. And maybe something with Liam. I think something with Liam. Yeah. And also Cal being like, did you know that in other places, sometimes people aren't homophobic? And Neil was like, sounds fake. (laughs) (laughs) I was in response to the stable fight that destroyed a stable. (laughs) I mean, it's related. Yeah. Right. So yeah, we've had the, yeah, the stable fight and then the one where um, some like tavern woman i don't know thought that um alana and liam were sleeping together despite thinking that alana was a boy yeah okay can we talk briefly briefly about how this is also i don't have that much from this book about it but i was thinking about it and i forgot to talk about it um so isn't neil neil is a hundred percent a queer character right and part of how i think we know that Mm -hmm. is his consistent crushes on really unattainable women which is i think (laughs) what you sometimes do if you're like oh i can't really face what i really want but i want to be this person that's really actively doing the right thing about this so i love the queen i'll never Mm -hmm. get to be with her so like no one challenge right i do think that that neil's crush on the queen is a relatable queer experience <laughs> of like gotta pick someone to crush on it's gonna be the queen of this country everyone's always talking about how she's great it's also relatable because i too have a crush on Thayette. i yeah. mean yeah that too <laughs> i mean yes but also <laughs> um i think that that i don't know is that that's a relatable queer experience right just being like oh everybody's always talking about this person so no one challenged me i'm also into them Mm-hmm. Don't doubt me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, just kind of like picking someone yeah. who seems plausible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Don't even talk to me about that. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly a relatable experience on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for others. We don't know. <laughs> All right. Neil is queer. Next. Uh, this is our section on race. Yamani women, they're there. Yamani women, they're finally there. They have names. They do have names. They have as many as three names. As many as up to up to three. (laughs) Gus, were you gonna say something? (laughs) I was going to say something about the character named Dom, who is who's Neil's cousin, who had a wonderful line uh sure sure did say the words exotic Yamanis, which made me extremely uncomfortable. He said, specifically, he said to Laurent, two exotic Yamanis, one for you, one for I me. I hate that so much. Yeah. Yeah. Is this the banter that we get in this book? <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> no bantering. Yeah. It's not good. Oh, yeah. man. And remember, like, you know, like, he's supposed to be a character who you, like, find charming, and it's just like, hmm, No. No, I really not. never found like Dom's fine. I know some people He's ship it. He's fine, but... but like that line just that line Ugh. was really bad. I like him a lot usually, which was why that one was particularly like eyeball raising. Yeah. This nope, eyeball yeah. raising, eyeball raising. Yep, eyeball raising. Raise your eyebrows. That's, raising. Raising. <laughs> That's the expression. <laughs> Keeping it in. <laughs> oh God. Um. Yeah. <laughs> 
but it was like particularly like an oh man moment for me mm-hmm. this time is because like I normally really like Dom yeah. and like on this read through that was one of the f- first like witty comments witty in very <laughs> strong quotes right. um, we get from him and like ah, yeah. Dom I wanted to like you and like hopefully I will still continue to like you a little but like that was hard. Yeah, but it's also not just Dom. That's how all the pages and squires react to the Yamani. Right. Yeah. right. And I feel like that's part of how we know that that's not being interrogated at all, because it's just, like, all people we like being like, ooh. Like. Yeah, and the way that Kel just, like, ex- expects that from her fellow pages, too. Or, and mm-hmm. squires and whatever. Just yeah. is like, yep, mm-hmm. this is how they're gonna act. Yeah, I mean, and it's very much, she's like, oh, they're, they're such <laughs> boys. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, boys. Yeah. The very boys will be boys moment. Yeah. It was yeah. just... It's not... It's... Yeah. No, I don't... I don't like... I don't like it. Yeah. Like, I am... I am very glad we have named Yamani characters, and I'm... Mm-hmm. Actually, I would really compliment the choice to bring in three instead of just one woman to be the Yamani mm-hmm. woman. Although, one of them doesn't have any lines. <laughs> but, one of them doesn't have any lines. <laughs> and, also, in general, I just think we could see a lot more from them. And yeah. it would be a lot richer of a representation, you know? Um, yeah. So, like, one point, and then minus four other points. So yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we can take some other points off for other things. Um, one of the things I'm thinking of is uh, the... Uh, continued commitment to the idea that uh, people who are not white are inherently more sexist or, like, right. conservative. Um, specifically, there's the idea, like, oh, and here, no one's gonna expect you to be a slave to your mother-in-law. And it's like, oh, really? God. Are they not? Like, I don't think we have necessarily any evidence that's not part of right. Catalan culture. Right. <laughs> yeah, we don't know that. <laughs> Just my other favorite, like, really? Are they different on this? Is the, um... There's a thing where she goes to visit the the Yamani, like, the first time, I think, um, and there's this reference to, like, the guards being particularly concerned about assassination mm-hmm. and how she's gonna have to figure out how to tell them that assassination isn't super common here, and I'm like, you do realize that, like, the entire last series was about people trying to assassinate the royal line? Right. Like, that was the The thing. queen literally was assassinated, right? Right. <laughs> right. And they also, they also mentioned, um... The guy who works for Rold, his uh, family member, also made an assassination attempt, presumably within the last, like... Oh, yeah, that's we we right. saw that. That was Delia of Eldorn. She worked with Roger to oh, yeah. assassinate Rold's grandparents. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not, so not like... there. I just don't understand. Like, it's very... But, yeah. Uh, it's like, it, but it's such this weird idea of, like, oh, but, like, that... Like the royal courts in in the east, by which I mean the west, um, are just completely different and super like dramatic in some way that is clearly just like yeah, they're violent and sexist, not like the not, not like the like civilization Tortal. of Tortal, <laughs> completely different than oh. Tortal. Oh. Uh, yeah, so minus six points for that because everyone knows our conversations <laughs> on race are always on a numerical scale. Yeah, and... we don't want to, like, give an idea, like, give the impression that we're, like, not taking it seriously because we're doing, yeah. like, point a systems. A I mean, yeah, yeah, no, that's not, I, it just, it is bad. And, like, I think that 
one thing that's particularly frustrating is that we can call back to some of these issues and be like, well, we originally noticed it in Alana, we saw it through Dane, and we're still seeing it in Cal. So the more we read these books, the more we're seeing things where we're like, wow, like, if we really have to interrogate every time the idea that portraying any non-white or disprivileged people as more violent is bad, like... (laughs) I do want to shout out that the Cal series does have not for the Yamani, but it does have a counterpoint to this general idea, which is um, Kasim, the big bazir guy on the King's Own. He's not more sexist than Tortolans. He's just a nice guy. <laughs> He's such a nice guy. <laughs> he loves sparrows. He's sweet. Yeah. He's helpful. Love him. Yeah, that is nice. But I think he might be the first Bajir character we've gotten who's like that, so. Yeah. And I also am not totally clear on the degree to which that's supposed to be in part because he has been assimilated properly into the own. It's very possible. As opposed to the Bajir who are still, you know, doing their own thing and haven't just... Yeah. I mean, it is also a weird, like, there's a sort of weird dichotomy there of, like, we get these, you know, foreign cultures that are more sexist, but then also most of the women warriors we meet are not from Tortal because... Right. Tamara Pierce wants to have female warriors, but they can't be from Tortal, or that would break the premise of the novels. So they like she creates a lot of foreign women mm-hmm. who are warriors, who also come from cultures that are somehow more sexist in this regard than Tortal. It's very weird. <laughs> I yes. have things to say. Yes, go. go. Can I say things? Okay. So the basic the basic premise of the things I want to say is um, assimilation into the military as a marker of social progress. Um, is a, a thing that that comes up in this book and also in our conversations um and one fun way in which this manifested <laughs> in the first few chapters of this book when they were talking about the king's own was um that the king's own has in the last few years um gone um and stayed with the bajir as you may or may not remember uh Raul himself has done the thing that Alana and John did yep. where he's like sort of like um joined a joined a tribe, yes. That thing. Um they anyways, they've gone and they've stayed as the King's Own in uh with the Bajir and they've uh, uh recruited many young men directly from there. Which yeah. I found deeply disturbing. Yeah. Um, that's a thing that that's a thing that the military like does in the u.s and probably in other countries i don't know about other countries militaries is they go to you know the military um recruits from uh underprivileged backgrounds Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. heavily um they the military promises um you know uh scholarships to colleges and other things um veterans benefits which it doesn't always deliver on historically and which it demands really uh you know like just um some some terrible things for in exchange yeah Uh, Yeah. anyways um no that's a good point i think that's an important comparison yeah yeah right i think we talked in the last episode about like raul um hiring bajir as a thing where he's like trying to help the underprivileged but it definitely when you look at the king's own as a military unit it reads a lot more like army recruiters aggressively recruiting 
the most underprivileged people because they're the people who will join. Right. Well, and even when um, John and Alana initially went to stay with the Bajir, it was so that they could more effectively fight against Bajir forces. And so how is it okay then to, you know, relatively soon after that suddenly be saying, oh, well, we're recruiting out of those groups. And it does seem like it could be strategic continuing in the way of like well we'll know their tactics if anything comes up again we'll be able to defend our borders we'll reduce their military force so that we can more easily oppress them right it really is um pretty nasty in that way i think um yeah and pretty insidious when in other ways we even talked about how we were happy that john had a bajir squire and i am still happy because i think opportunity should be accessible but like strategic recruitment is not the same as opportunity. Yeah. Well, right. And especially, um, you know, I think that, uh, that knights are nobles and they're both like warriors, but they also do have a lot of privilege. Um, so that is a type of opportunity, but like joining the King's own, you know, could easily be a really good gig, but it's also, you know, you're part of the military. You don't have your own, like, you can't make your own life choices, you know? It's not ideal. You have to kill people and you might get killed. Yeah. Yeah. And you might be weaponized against your own people. Like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do have one thing I wanted to say about class that we haven't already covered, which is that uh, Lalasa and Kel are shown having a very close friendship in this book, and part of the way that that friendship manifests is that Lalasa does work for Kel for free. Right. And I'm not saying that no one should ever do work for their friends for free, because that is, like, a thing that friendship can be. But the idea of Kel's former employee feeling so indebted to her uh, that she doesn't, uh, that she refuses payment for, like, work that she does for her job is not something that I love to see. Right, and Kel could easily pay, like, afford to pay her for her labor. Right. And yeah. uncompensated labor is a really bad thing thing to encourage i think right i feel like we have this fictional idea of just like the very loyal servant who doesn't serve you for money they serve you out of love and lalasa occasionally falls into that and i don't like it when it happens well i i actually think that that's a big part of lalasa's characterization like consistently that i'm i I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say she occasionally falls into it i would say it's part of Mm -hmm. who she's built as as a character and it it does really bother me consistently Mm -hmm. especially when you tie that together with some of the other issues that um come up between lilasa and cal uh where cal doesn't make a huge effort to in some in some instances doesn't make a huge effort to understand lilasa's life experience and how it differs from her own yeah um, so maybe she, like, isn't really trying to get, like, oh, you're offering to do this for free, but were I to pay you money, that would help you live your life in a uh, healthy way in a capitalist system. Like, <laughs> We can't keep equating ca- capitalism and feudalism. A, a feudalist system. I'm very sorry. In a feudalist <laughs> yeah, we system. Have to stop, but... <laughs> but, like, being a dressmaker isn't the same as being, like, a, um, what are people that live on in feudalist A uh, serf. Yeah, sir. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, we are seeing like the beginnings of the merchant class and in that is right. what society. Say is. That's what makes me confused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So maybe you have a point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so I think that we're going to uh, continue the last little bit of our social justice corner discussion uh, in our uh, third part of this discussion of Squire, which we just realized we needed. Uh, so we're going to uh, wrap up for right now. 
Um, and I think we want to do that by uh, reading some palace gossip, some listener mail. Uh, so this is from at KatherineNZR on Twitter, um, who we really appreciate uh, their engagement with our podcast. And um, <laughs> what we have here is, uh, why did we lose half of Kel's friends? Esmond and Seaver showed up once. Falaron was mis- missing the whole time. I know my boy became a knight at some point. Merrick pulling Kel aside before his ordeal is a very good friend moment. Uh, next tweet. <laughs> if you could reveal where the hidden friends have gone, I would owe you a life debt. So, friends, where have the hidden friends gone? Where are our friends? This is the listener mail question. Please discuss. <laughs> I mean, they're squires. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's true, but I also feel like we need to, like, throw out some wild theories. Yeah, um... Uh, Falaron actually foreign exchange program. Yeah, I, I actually was thinking foreign exchange program. <laughs> Falaron did not become a knight. He had a sudden crisis of conscience. Neither of those words were words that I said correctly. Um, <laughs> he's a pacifist now, and he owns a bakery. Oh, that's so good. I'm proud of based him. On, that's very sweet. Based on yeah. no character evidence in the text. <laughs> evidence. Falaron is a nice guy. He seems like he's he would nice like having a bakery. Guy. Uh, I think we see him eat at some point. Mm-hmm. Also, we've established that they're slowly making the transition to capitalism. So, yes. growing Great. richer class, etc., etc. <laughs> Our favorite. <laughs> Our favorite system of economic oppression. Uh, what about Esmond and Seaver? Um, okay, I always say Seaver like that, I think because there's a character on Criminal Minds with that name. We've otherwise said Sever, so therefore I think uh, no, I, I I read it as Sever, and that's I not from Shelby criminal minds. Sever. That's from my childhood. Okay, great. Well, anyway, that inspires my Sever theory, which is that he's gone rogue and he's an independent investigator. He's a private Ooh. eye now. Okay, <laughs> um, no, here's my theory: Esmond and Sever are dating, and also they're crime solving partners. Esmond and Sever, private eyes. It sounds yeah. great. Aww. Um, part of the growing merchant class. <laughs> <laughs> Growing version class needs private investigators, obviously. I mean, that, you know, when you look at it, that always emerges second. Bakeries and then private eyes. <laughs> and dressmakers. We have also established that Portal does have, like, seven parallel justice systems. Yeah. So, like, why not also, like, a bunch of private Why eyes? not one more? You know? We haven't seen, like, the costumed super- superheroes, but they're probably there, too. Yeah. Like, um... So that's what happened to the hidden friends, and we will collect on that life debt when we feel it's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah, I love the friends. I wish we saw more of the friends' many super exciting adventures that are happening in the background, such as baking. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which we know is happening for sure. Uh, so Catherine NZR, watch your Twitter DMs. You owe us a life debt now. <laughs> we know what happened for sure. <laughs> Not really. We would never collect on a life debt. We didn't actually say what happened to Merrick, but I guess he was, like, mostly there. Uh, Merrick was there, yeah. Merrick is mentioned in the tweet I mean, as I he was, still being a good He was friend. probably the foreign exchange student. He went away, but he came okay. back. It's cool. Um, Alright, so, um, thanks for listening to this episode. Keep an eye out for our unprecedented third part of the episode, so we can't not talk forever. Yes. Please don't expect us to do that regularly because we're trying we're to not. We're going to try do that not regularly. to. Yes. 
but we don't want to leave you without uh, a discussion of friendship and a little bit more of Social Justice Corner. So uh, catch us sometime with that. Um, <laughs> in the future. <laughs> in the future, probably. Not in the past. They will still be released sequentially. Um, Thank you for interacting with us on social media. The places you can do that are at Tortal Recall on Twitter, tortalrecall.tumblr.com, patreon.com slash tortalrecall, or you can email us at tortalrecall.gmail.com. There, at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Sorry. <laughs> <Is it> dot? <laughs> Go to the website, gmail.com. We have a website. It's tortalrecall.com. I don't know why you would need that, but it's there. Well, that's where the podcast lives. So that's that's where the important. podcast lives. Also a Q&A that we put together a while ago. Yeah, check that out if you have questions that might or an FAQ. Technically yeah. same. Same letters, except F. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Um, oh, transcripts are also on our website. Not that many, but we're working on it. Transcripts are also on our website. We're working on it. Our music is Green Sleeves by Zeta. Find it on SoundCloud. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See ya, Tortellini. <laughs> Do you want a better record of that, someone? What? Someone else say the sign-off. I said it both like a question and with no enthusiasm, and also I said it last time. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, I feel like all of that is appropriate for our sign-off. However, I deeply appreciate that we discuss it afterwards, because I think that is a traditional part of our sign-off. It is. We have to discuss it too much. Discussing it really both before and after.